Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to episode 99 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I am Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I am just shocked that it's 99, but I guess I'm Sam with Fowler Consulting. Well shocked on this fabulous episode. Uh, we get to talk to author Sardik Love. He co-wrote a book with Ann Bruce called Presentation Essentials. And the full title is The Tools You Need to Captivate Your Audience, Deliver Your Story, and Make Your Message Memorable. And Sam, we got to spend some time with Sardik. So instead of us telling our listeners all about that time, why don't we just let them hear that fabulous interview now? Today, our guest on this episode is Sardik Love. He is co-author of the fabulous book, Presentation Essentials, the tools you need to captivate your audience, deliver your story, and make your message memorable. Sardik, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic, Drew. I cannot complain. It's finally summer here in Virginia, which we've been having some really weird, strange weather this year. And, you know, we're finally uh, above 85. Nice. I, I always joke with folks that when somebody says I can't complain, my answer usually is if you did, would somebody listen? Exactly. And we're on a podcast. So if you feel like complaining, they would actually listen. It's kind of fun. <laughs> so other than the book, Sardik, um, why don't you tell our listeners your story? How'd you get here? And how'd you get to a place where you felt like writing this book? How did I get here? Well, uh, let's do the short version of that, of course. I am a performance consultant and leadership expert and training professional. And the way I got here was completely by accident. And it all started most recently back in 2007 when, or 2006, December 8th, 2006, I was working for a very well-known consulting firm. And I'll say the firm name because it's, it's all, all known, very well known. It's Booz Allen Hamilton. Was having a great time at Booz Allen Hamilton and I got fired. Now, in that moment, the, you know, Booz Allen Hamilton is a great organization. I love the organization. In fact, they've actually had me back as a consultant since being fired, which is a, a wonderful thing for both them and for me. But it was just a classic example of the manager that I had. We weren't the right fit for each other. And he did me a favor, quite frankly, because literally the moment that I got fired, I had this dream of wanting to be my own business owner and go and, and tackle the world and help managers be better than what they were. The day before. And that's actually my motto. Be better than you were the, than you were yesterday. So getting fired in, on December 8th, 2006, allowed me to launch my business. And 15 minutes later, I had my first contract. And so here I am, what, 16 and a half years later, going on 17, 32 countries later. But that was the beginning of where I am now. And the two books that I've written came about all in the last five years. And all prior to that, the short one sentence I'll say about my, my career prior to all of that was the simple fact that I've been doing lots of different things and learning lots of different things from underwriting in the insurance industry to leadership, 
to systems analysis and programming. And so all of that, I put it all together in a big gumbo of here I am today. A big gumbo of here I am today. I love that. And, you know, I think that leads to what I think is really important, because as you talk to Domino's Pizza franchisees around the world, I think they are a big gumbo of here I am today. And I don't know that there's many, and Drew, correct me if I'm wrong, but many of our clients, I don't think any of them got into Domino's Pizza thinking it was going to be a career. A lot of people tell stories of, I started as a delivery driver and it was just a way to get weekend beer money or make ends meet. And then they they found out it it turned out to be good. But the thing you said, Sardik, that I really, really liked was that you got experiences from this and experiences from that and helped you do what you're doing today. Talk more about the importance of maybe being the best you can be at whatever position you're in at the time and how that can help you become something greater later on. You know, what's interesting about that, Sam, and now I'll go back and talk about my my first job ever was at Virginia Tech as, as a freshman. And I, I started working for a franchise owner of a Burger King. And at that time in Blacksburg, that Burger King was one of the highest producing Burger Kings in the United States. Well, guess what? All college students went over there. And, and that's why I decided to work there because I, I would eat there a lot. And I ate a lot of Domino's pizza, by the way, too. So pizza was a staple, still is a bit of a staple of my, my diet. But in terms of you know being the best that you can, one thing that was drilled into me by my parents throughout my life and fairly early on was no matter what you do, be the best that you can be. And I know that sounds pretty cliche, but my mom and dad actually drilled that into me. And then I went to a school system in elementary school that also reinforced that. So in my mind, I was wired to do whatever I do. I try to be the best at it and no matter what I do. And the, what I found with leaders and, and one of the things I work with when it comes to leaders is that's what separates average leaders from high performing leaders. High performing leaders are really good at understanding their strengths. And so I became very aware early on of what my strengths were through coaching, mentoring and parenting and throughout the years. And of course, strength finders. I took strength finders when that came out from Gallup. And that was very helpful from a scientific perspective. But then I just naturally gravitated to certain things. Like, I guess your franchise folks, you all probably are very good at, you know, when I think about, and I've worked with franchises in my business. And when I think about that, it really comes back to understanding processes and demand moving and adapting fairly quickly. And if you're not good at it, that doesn't drive you and make you excited. Oh man, that that's a tough place to be. And and so I think when people can find their strengths and play to those strengths and not try to overcompensate for their weaknesses, you know, find people or alternatives that can support the weaknesses. But when you can play to your strengths, life is nothing but a ball of helium balloons that we all suck and have a great amount of time making people laugh and enjoying life. I love that. It's kind of funny that you mentioned it that way too, because Sam and I were just talking about that because Sardi. I dislike social media. I know I have to be on social media. I don't believe I'm good at it. So I, I found somebody to do it for me. And I'm like, no, you go do this. I'll pay you to go do that. This way I can focus on what I'm good at. And I don't need to learn one more thing because, well, there's occasionally where you learn one more thing, which I think brings us into the book. We talked briefly in our show prep that, you know, six hours that we had before this interview started. 
amongst the three of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we deal with sarcasm, by the way, Sardi. If, uh, you know, it, it's okay. It, it, it layers in a ton into the podcast. Love it. Our listeners might look at this presentation essentials and their first thought might be, I don't have to build any PowerPoints. I don't have to present in large groups. I don't have to teach in classes. How is it relevant to me? So could you explain that to our, our listeners before we dive into some of the stuff we liked in the book? Yeah, would love to. I would ask your, your audience, do you ever open your mouth and speak? And if you do, if at any point in your time during the day, you actually open your mouth and speak even a single word, that's a presentation. In fact, we're presenting all the time. In fact, you know, and I have a program called Master Influencer. Influence is communication, nothing more, nothing less. And the better you are at communicating, the better you are at presenting. And so when you're trying to you know, sell an idea, whether it's a product like you all are doing with, with pizza, and there's lots of pizza opportunities out there, everybody's got their flavor of pizza, but you're trying to sell your specific brand of pizza in that experience. So you've got to communicate that in a way that makes people want it. I know I've got a, a I really I think I saw a young lady who has uh, on you mentioned social media, Drew, and I was on Twitter for just a little bit just because it's one of the social medias I'm on, but I'm not really active. I'm more of a passive watcher there than an active contributor on Twitter. I'm much more on LinkedIn. But she wrote something and she's a PR person and she says, I write the things that make people want to give you money. And I was like, that's a great presentation in written format. You know, so when you look at the book, the reason we wrote this book, and, and there's tons of books out here on presentation skills and things like that. McGraw-Hill came to Ann and I, my co-author, and said, we want something different. We want something for people, for managers who can do, can t- do a presentation, but we want to give them something that's a little bit different from anything else on the market. And, and we'll get into what that different thing is here in the book. There's a couple of different things, but anytime you're speaking, Anytime you're selling, anytime you're providing customer service, it is a presentation. And so when we look at presentations, we look at it in the global sense, not just a PowerPoint and standing in front of an audience. You could be an audience of one. This is a presentation. We're just doing it through a podcast. It's a loosely defined version of a presentation. We teach how to do it no matter what format, no more modality you use. I think what I really like about the way you've you and Ann have put the book together, it's very digestible. It doesn't go, at least for me, it didn't, it doesn't go so deep that you get lost. I mean, I hope you take this with all the, all the love it's meant, but it's almost like a presentation for dummies book. Yeah. It is so well laid out. And Drew and I both do a presentation skills class. And when we read a book that validates things we teach, it makes us feel good. And, you know, as I'm listening over and over and over to the book and, you know, I listened to it on audio, I was like, yeah, 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 that, 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 you you know, the part where you get into, you know, your PowerPoint should support you. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be the show. You should be the show. And it it was just, there was just so much in it that, that I really, really loved your presenter, prepare, rehearse, engage, smile encourage natural humor, tone and timing, entertain, raise the bar. I was just like, oh my goodness gracious. I'm just going to say it here in front of everybody. There'll be things in the book I'm going to be stealing. I'm just going to tell you. Steal away. (laughs) Steal away. (laughs) Oh, and now I've got it on tape. (laughs) Yeah, steal away. We absolutely love it. And thank you for that. You know, one of the things I'll say real quick to that, Sam, is 
So I'm a process guy. I take things that are somewhat complex and simplify them because the hardest thing to do is to make things simple. And, and one of the things, again, McGraw-Hill came back to us and they said that this book, for those of you who get the book, if you choose to get it, it's actually even a smaller format. It's not a traditional format of a, a book that you would pick up. You might look at it and like you said, it, it, it's kind of weird in the, in the size of it, but that's all meant to make it stand out. And then when you open it up, we made it so that you could start anywhere in that book and pick up whatever you need and come back and forth and use it truly as a reference. Because I've done a lot of research on other books on presentation skills and other great resources on this. Nancy Duarte has a great, you know, if you're really into presentations at a very deep level, you can look at Nancy Duarte. She's written multiple books on how to do that. There are others out there, but we wanted to make this something as a quick reference guide. You could pick up, read a chapter in like about five minutes, get some tips and go off and do your thing. So I'm glad that you got that. If that was your target, I would say target acquired. Absolutely. Sweet. So with that, let's get into some of the books. Sam mentioned the presenter acronym. I like the catchphrase part. I had never thought to build catchphrases like that. And I do want to say, I don't, I don't know if you know or not. We've talked a lot, but we don't get into a lot of like, like the business piece of it. My business name is better than yesterday consulting. And the tagline on almost every email I have is be better than yesterday because great minds think alike, my friend. <laughs> that's the way it works. So tell us how you got to a place with the catchphrase component. How'd you get there with piecing that together? Because that was a really interesting way you guys laid out how to build your catchphrases. So that's actually the one thing that is in the book that makes this book is a couple things, but this is the major one thing that makes this book completely different from any other book on presentation skills. And this comes from my keynote speaking. When I go on stages and speak for audiences and corporations at their corporate events and at associations and things like that, Speakers are taught to say things that are memorable. So catchphrases, one-liners, uh, or quotes. And the better ones, you know, will say that. And script writers actually do this. And so when you think about the movies that you, your favorite movie, there's always several catchphrases or memorable lines that the, the uh, actresses or actors will say. And, and so I had learned those. And they're actually called figures of rhetoric. And so I'd learned those over the years. And it dawned on me, I was like, you know what? Some of the best presenters that I've ever seen and training professionals who I've ever seen, the most captivating ones are the ones who drop these one liners. So I was like, wow, I wonder if I could teach that. So when we talked to the editor about the concept and she loved it. And as it's turned out, Drew, that this is the one thing that's actually making the book sell really well because it's so different. So I went out and looked at several that are easy to use because there's there's tons of these things out there. And and if you get into the writing aspects of things with your audience and my, and my audience and I don't get into, I mean, you can really study this stuff in the writing and literature of stuff, but in the highly technical word stuff. <laughs> we're, we're huge fans of stuffs and things. It's fine. Yeah, stuffs and things. Highly technical <laughs> here. You know, and, and so when we came back to these formulas, I thought about the ones that I use most often that, gra- that get people, that grabs their attention and you can put on walls. They will remember things like, you know, the, the, the alliteration, the anadiplosis and the chiasmus are the three that are super simple. And so we tested this out even before. Well, I tested it out because Anne's not a presenter. She's a coach. She's an author that helps other authors write books and get on stages. So I'm the speaker, presenter, trainer. And so I would test these out with my clients. And within like five minutes, I would tell them, OK, I'm going to put people in pairs and say, give you five minutes as a pair. And I would assign one of these three 
that's in the book that are highlighted, the anadiplosis, the chiasmus, and the alliteration. I'd give them in pairs uh, a task to understand what it is. Read that portion of that chapter, chapter eight, about that particular type of, of quote, and then come up with your own that's based on your own work, the work that you do. And, I'll, and in about 15 minutes, then we would have those pairs share their quotes. And what happened, what turned out to happen is I've actually found that they've come up with quotes, whether it was Abbott Diabetes Care or the company I was just with uh, last week up in Connecticut, that company is Avant Grid. They're in the energy space. They come up with quotes and, and their managers are amazed at what they come up with. So this is a big hit. If you want to learn how to say things that are simple, easy, and memorable, one of those three quote types, anadiplosis, chiasmus, or alliteration, will have people eating out of your hand. No pun intended for those of you since you all deal in food. We do deal in food. And right now, I would imagine some of our listeners are saying, what in the world is anadiplosis or chiasmus? So for our pizza friends, just give them a, a short idea of alliteration, anadiplosis, and chiasmus. Absolutely. Because the alliteration is one that you all would probably in the food industry love, absolutely love, because an alliteration is simply where you repeat a letter or a sound at the beginning of words. Whatever that letter is, let's say, and I have an example in the book. If you think about this, think about a coffee shop. And, and if you were to offer coffee, you might say something like the coffee is, remember, it's a repeating repetition of the same letter or a sound. Your coffee might be sweet, smooth, and savory. I, I got you. So maybe if we're teaching somebody how to make pizza, we come up with the perfect pizza process. That's it. That's a wonderful alliteration, right? That's exactly it. Okay. So let's move over to the anadiplosis. Now, that sounds like a really weird name. Yes, it does. Yeah. And, and I have no <laughs> idea what it means because that's a highly technical stuff. For the geeks out there that like that stuff, look it up. I don't even know what it means. But what I can tell you what it is, is an anadiplosis is using the first word in a sentence you know, and then the last word in a sentence. So if we take a sentence, the first sentence, and you have the first word and the last word, whatever the last word of that first sentence is, you now repeat it at the beginning of the next sentence. And whatever is at the end of that sentence, you repeat it at the beginning of the next sentence. So it's, it goes like this. So for example, I wrote one of my most popular quotes that I've ever written is a, uh, I call it the priority principle. It's a principle. So listen to how this works. Questions create priorities. Priorities create action. Action creates results. So what you can start to do is say things like joy brings happiness. Happiness brings success. Success brings blah, blah, blah. Or in your world, in the pizza world, it could be pizza brings joy. Joy brings happiness. And happiness brings fun. Things like that. I love it. All right. Hit us with uh, chiasmus. All right. Now, this one is a bit, this is of the three. This is the most complicated one because this one is where you actually say whatever you're going to say in the first sentence, and then you reverse it in a, in, in a mirror of the first sentence. So you reverse it. So it gets a little bit more complicated to put together. The most famous one is one that John F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy said, not what your country can do for you. 
ask what you can do for your country. Or maybe you've heard the one that, you know, I was not thinking about that one. But maybe here's something that you probably all we've all heard from our childhood. The three musketeers. Right. One for all and all for one. So that's an example of flipping things around and saying things. Another one might be um, one that we put in the book. And I wrote this one. I said, just as staff supported our leaders in difficult times, in difficult times, our leaders must support our staff. So that one takes a bit more effort to put together. Yeah, I think I got it. Let me let me take a crack at it. Go for it. Pizza is fun and fun is pizza. There you go. All right. There you go. Look at you. I like it. Making catchphrases. Yep. And so you think, you know, what I've done with those is, for example, uh, again, a franchise, uh, a fast food franchise. We worked with them and helped them create for their local markets. They were having a hard time. And I'm guessing this is not common or it's not an uncommon issue. They were having a hard time getting in staffing, staffing issues, right? Recruiting and retaining people. So one of the areas that we focused on was down in the Miami area. And they have a, a great amount of folks down there, college students that they could tap into and high school students. One of the things we did was work with the local uh, stores to say, hey, put together some campaigns for recruiting and use these alliterations and the the anadiplosis to come up with your campaign slogans. Let's just say that they've they've got those on buttons and now you've got a campaign, you've got a marketing strategy all coming out of all this stuff. Sir Deke, Sam and I have, oh my gosh, this is, is this going to be episode 99, Sam? It is episode 99. Congratulations. This is episode 99. 99 is this episode. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh my God, that's going to be the title of the episode. That's so terrible and yet awesome at the same time. <laughs> We've reviewed a bunch of books, um, probably what, north of 20 books? Yeah, I think so. And what we found is, generally speaking, we have a type A book that we really like. And those are like the uh, Patrick Lencioni books where it's like the fable and then here's the how-to at the end. Or the books actually just like yours where it's the here's the explanation and now here's the recap because there are some of us that occasionally skim right to the recap and then go back to read if the recap is interesting i don't know anyone me who may do stuff like that how is it that you and ann got to a place where those recap pages and then the last 30 pages of this is just straight manual which i actually greatly appreciate because again it's it's that it's the stuff I can use once I'm done with the book. So how is it you got to a place where this was the format you wanted? Now, that's a great question. I wish Ann and I could take full credit for that. But this is actually the format of this business, uh, what McGraw-Hill is calling their Business Essentials series. So all of the books that were released in, in our book, Presentation Essentials, was one of three that kicked off the series. Communication Essentials and Coaching Essentials were the other two that came out all about the same time last October in October 2022. We were one of those three and all of them, and they've since released two more, I believe. And all of the books have the same format that you have a short chapter and then you have the takeaways, the recap at the end of the chapter. And then at the very end of the book is a complete recap of the entire book with all the templates, tools, and resources that were presented inside the chapters are recapped and laid out that way. So depending upon how you like to consume information, you can consume it again, however you like, whether you go chapter by chapter, out of order, you go to the, the working manual at the end, whatever you like, 
it's all built into there. So that was their design. I think it's an amazing design, actually. Based on the way Drew phrased the question, he obviously liked it. I, I thought it was really, really well put together. And when Drew says there's two kinds of books and, and we prefer the fables, I think it's easier to say that the fables are the only ones that we really read. But yours was really easy to to keep my attention. Yeah, easy to digest. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And that's saying a lot because reading for me is very difficult. My mind goes in different directions a thousand miles an hour. And um, I found this book so digestible. And I think it's because, you know, we teach a presentation skills class and it just had me from the beginning. It's, it's very, very well put together and it, it doesn't go so deep that you get lost. You know, I think if you want to get really, really good at presenting it sooner or later, a coach has to be involved. Agreed. I think this book is beautiful foundational work. You know, you talk about getting your style. I think you need an outside voice to help you find a style that's going to resonate. I mean, none of us talk in a way that we think we're not communicating. True. <laughs> so, so we need that outside voice. At what point did you decide that this was for you? I'm no longer dreading getting up in front of people and talking, but I actually enjoy it. And I like the preparation that goes along with it. Did, was there an event that took you from, oh my God, I've got to do this to, oh my goodness gracious, I get to do this. We've all seen at some point where there was on America's Funniest Home Videos or Impractical Joke, well, maybe not Impractical Jokers, but definitely on Ridiculousness or just on social media in general. We've always seen that little boy or little girl on the video in some school play who's just doing his or her own thing, right? That was me. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I want to see that video right now, Sardik. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm mature enough that there was no video at that point, not easily created back then, right? But the funny thing is, I, I think it was my fourth, third or fourth grade, I, I just was doing these things and, and, and just doing my own thing. And, and they couldn't corral me to, to stay in, in sync with all the other kids. So eventually what they ended up doing as I went through these school plays, they would give me parts, singing parts, which I can't sing, but they would give me something to channel this energy that I had. So they, you know, in my schools, my teachers, they figured this stuff out way, way back when. So, but I will tell you, I've never had a fear of getting up in front of people. And, but where this became a problem in my career, early in my career, I was an underwriter in the insurance industry. And that's a very technical job. In fact, most I was I went to Virginia Tech with the intention of being a computer science major. So a highly technical job or degree. And along the way, I ended up just switching and going into marketing education because I realized that at the time I couldn't put headphones on and program and, and not get distracted. You know, I probably had ADHD, but I was never diagnosed. I don't know. And uh, so I got the technical stuff down and I went into underwriting. I could underwrite my cases and then I would like need an outlet. So I'd go mess with the other underwriters. And my, my boss was like, look, you're really good at what you do, but we got to find a way to channel this energy. And I got the best thing because he hated going and talking about the department risk management and the underwriting function to other departments. And he was also a very well-known person in the industry, in the insurance industry. And he would go, he would be invited to speak. He was the one that he would rather die than speak. Right. So he got me. He was like, look, this is what you're going to do. It wasn't an it wasn't an ask. He was telling me what I was going to do. Became a new part of my responsibility. And all of a sudden, because I can handle it and I was good at it, he just let me go at it. 
and run with it. And he put me into an area I had no idea I would flourish in. So that's how I got to this point. And um, then just when it comes to writing books, I never, you know, the first book I did was within Speak for a Living. And that came out in 2018. And we, we just jazzed together so well. Now, Anne is a prolific writer. I think Presentation Essentials is like her 27th book. You know, so she writes books left and right. Sam and I went to look at the same time, not to interrupt. But we were both, did, he, oh yeah. my did he say <laughs> yeah. 27? I think she's up to 27, 28, something like that. Yeah. I've written three blog posts. <laughs> right, right. You know? Most of us don't write like that. And, and no. she can crank out a book just like that. It's amazing. And so she, you know, I always wanted to write a book. So when she came to me with Speak for a Living to do, to do the second edition, because she had written the first edition. And it was a bestseller for ATD, the Association for Talent Development. Well, they asked for the second edition. And, and I actually met her at her book signing on the first edition. And I told her, I was like, I'm going to take your book. I'm going to be just like you. I'm going I'm to take this book and I'm going to turn myself into a speaker. That was 2009 or so, 2010, something like that, when the book came out. And sure enough, 2013, I was headed to Oman to do a keynote presentation. But before I went there, I stopped off in California to do a keynote and she was the other keynote speaker. So we got reconnected and she found out that all of a sudden I had taken her book and turned it into to this international speaker thing. And uh, so when ATD came back and said, we want the second edition, she was like, I got the best person who's actually taken the first edition and, and transformed himself from a trainer into a speaker. And we did so well with that. That's what got McGraw-Hill's attention. And she's written multiple books for them. So when they came out with this whole Business Essential series, they were like, okay, we know Anne is the prolific writer, but this dude is a prolific speaker trainer and works with everybody. So let's, you know, let's get him on board and see if... So she came with me, came to me tentatively and said, you know, McGraw-Hill is interested in of us writing another book, but you'd be maybe interested. I was like, McGraw-Hill, are you crazy? When, when do we have to sign the contract? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I like that a lot. Let's say that I'm a, a restaurant store manager and I'm going to get my crew together tomorrow and we're going to have a, a 30 minute get together. Talk to the listeners a moment on the importance of preparing for that 30 minute get together because I think what Drew and I see a lot is somebody will say, I'm going to have a crew meeting on Thursday. And then about two minutes before the meeting, they start jotting down some notes. And then the, the crew meetings typically go the way you would think they would go. So if I'm going to talk to a group, a, a group of my own team members in a very intimate setting, the back of a pizza store, how much preparation should I do for that? if I want any chance at all of changing behavior of my team. Hmm. Now, having worked with franchisees and store managers and, and retail type stores and fast food and stuff like that, same, same issue there, right? What, what I would say to, to the folks that do that and the way I've positioned this with them is inside the book, we talk about the concept of the big idea. Anytime you want people to change behavior, Change actually has to happen first in their thought process before it actually happens in their behavior. So managers, we tend to think just because of positional power that if we tell somebody to do something, they'll do it. And they will. They'll do it if, if it's required and if it's a compliance issue. But if you want buy-in, what you have to do is use personal power. And what that is all about is helping. Here's the concept of the big idea. And that the concept is you have to get people to reconsider what they believe to be true. And that's 
where the preparation should really be is how can we influence what can you do or say to influence them to reconsider that to change their current behavior because we're all creatures of habit and so we're going to do what we're habitually wired to do or whatever we've been taught even if it's bad it's just the way humans work and so if you're going to get them to change anything you're going to change your process or you want them to buy into a new approach a new campaign a new way of doing or you know expanded way of doing things you got to get them to reconsider what they believe to be true about that problem. It has to be a problem that they need to acknowledge. And it may not even be some of something that they're aware of. So how do you prepare? Just think of what is it that I want them to do different from what they're doing today? And then ask yourself, what is their belief around what they're doing today? And what will entice them to actually want to reconsider what they believe to be true and change, even if it's a small change? So I'll, I'll stop there and let you react to that because that is a little bit of a conceptual idea. But once the light bulb comes on on that, you can you can influence anyone to do anything. And, and I always say this cautionarily, when used for good is good. When used for not good is not good. Exactly. You know, I, I think the first part of your response to that was the most important for the folks that Drew and I deal with, especially at the store level, because we're dealing with leaders that are on the beginning of their journey. I think that a lot of them believe in this positional power thing. And it may have worked 25 years ago, 50 years ago, and it may actually work now in very small cases. But for the most part, even if it does work, I don't think it's the best way to go. And we've got to help our folks get around that. I'm the manager, so you will do what I say because they just don't. No, they don't. And I'll also add in this. If you even you even alluded to this, Sam, earlier when you talked about the, you know, the folks that started out and, and now are in the managerial roles, they they may have taken the job just to get beer money. I mean, that I'm sure that was, you know, if you're in a college town or whatever, whatever that is. So they thought what they believed to be true about pizza was that it was just a means to an end that would end. And it's continued. It's not it's just grown. So they are products of their own, you know, big idea continuously being revised and reconsidered. So now if they were to tell that story from time to time and talk about when I was out there as a delivery driver, or now in this new age of, you know, we're competing with, with uh, here, I just saw in Northern Virginia, I was out about here a couple of weeks ago. And now in this part of town, uh, I saw where they, they've got the, the, the robotic delivery tools where they're delivering food that way. You know, I'm guessing that that's going to come through all of food service at some point. Right. So how do you do that? How do you get people to reconsider what they're you know going to do? So, yeah, I think it's interesting. Positional power works, but it's very, very short, short lived, short term. Personal power and influence is where you get the retention of your employees. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're talking about the importance of being an influencer, which is something I say in all my leadership classes now. And of course, I I tell them, you know, not an influencer, like you're just looking for likes and clicks, but someone that's actually trying to influence behavior leads us to, to this question, who is the greatest influence in your life? And in other words, who is your favorite teacher and why? Wow. There, there's a strong list of candidates there, but to pick one, I'm actually going to go with, and, and, and I'll say his name and, and I'll actually, because uh, look, we're connected on social media. They found me and I, you know, my, my elementary school, Mr. Cantone. 
who is now down in the Richmond area, apparently. Mr. Cantone, if I remember correctly, I think he was my fourth grade teacher. Now, his, he and his, I had both he and his wife. So I, I can't remember if he was fourth and she was fifth or vice versa. But nonetheless, Mr. Cantone had us, he, he took us on history and you know a lot of history stuff. And I, I remember building a paper mache model with other, class, other kids in the class of the Parthenon in Greece. And that set my mind of, of love of history on fire. So I love history. And because of that, that sparked a lot of my curiosity. So Mr. Cantone, I, I can thank you for being the person that created that curiosity in me and wanted me to you know, creating it so that I want to explore the world. And I had to find a career that allowed me to do that. And so to do what I do now and have done in 32 countries and counting, it all started back with, with him and the way he told stories about his trips to you know, Greece and wherever he, whatever he was teaching. So Mr. Cantone is my favorite. That's awesome. And, and was Mr. Cantone an easy teacher? Oh yeah. He was, as much as I was all over the place, he captured my attention that day all the time. I, I, I can remember my mom being very proud of the, the grades I was getting. I think that was the first time I was actually not getting the red markers for not paying attention. That's awesome. Let me rephrase that follow-up question one more time. When it comes to his expectations and holding you accountable, was he easy on you? I guess is, is a better way to say it. Oh, okay. I got you. No, no. So he held all of his students accountable, but he did it in a way that, as you can imagine, with, with kids, he did it in a way so that we didn't feel that we were being punished when we, you know, when we had to have some corrective action. I just remember the guy was always just awesome. And even to this day, when, when he's reached out and I've connected with him and said hi on Facebook in particular, you know, occasionally, we, we haven't said much to each other, but you know, he's, he's always said, I'm very proud to see where you've gone, as many of my other teachers are. But he held us accountable. And I would say that's true about anyone that has been an influencer in my life. There was the duality of excellence accompanied with accountability. That's a great way to put it. Very easy to learn from, yes. but not easy on you. You knew right. you had to toe the line. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. Hey, Sardik, if our, if our listeners are interested in finding out more about you or what you do, where can they find you? I have my website is just my name, sardiklove.com, S-A-R-D-E-K-L-O-V-E.com. That's probably one place, the easiest place. If you're on LinkedIn, I'm fairly active of all the social media. That is the one place I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, just under my name. And you can find me on other social media platforms under my name, but LinkedIn is going to be it. Now, Facebook, I'm, that's probably my second most active uh, place. And I do quotes. So obviously, if I wrote a book about, you know, a chapter about quotes, I write quotes and inspiring quotes. So feel free to join me over there. And then lastly, uh, if for those of you who are training inside of the, um, you know, your organization, like you would do, if you want to get tips on how to be, you know, get more tips on how to be better at your training and, and keeping your audience engaged, even in short bursts, like what you're doing in the stores, I have a video blog series called askamasterfacilitator.com all together, askamasterfacilitator.com. Every Monday, I, I take a question from my audience and record a video response to that so folks can join that if they want or they can just come and catch those each monday and um that's those are the best places to find me awesome 30 thanks so much for the listeners 
not that we found Sardik. I was lucky enough to have him teach a ATD master trainer class. Oh my gosh, how long is it now? Eight, nine years ago? In a while. Yeah. It's been nice to see how you've worked things and oh my gosh, follow your travels because to say that you're keynote speaking around the world is is legit. Um, I can't imagine how many miles you get. So thanks so much for finding the time to spend a couple minutes with us today, even if we may have gone just a hair over. <laughs> My honor, and I appreciate the, the honor of being here with you. And thank you for the opportunity to speak to your audience. And um, and I, it's, lo- it's great to watch you, Drew. And Sam, it's a pleasure to meet you. So I love what y'all are doing. I think this is great. So congratulations on your 99th episode. It's an honor to be here with you today. And contribute. Thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Drew, that was just amazing. I'm so glad you had the opportunity to meet Sardik at ADT and take his master presenter class or master trainer class eight or nine years ago. What a just amazing set of tools that our general managers, supervisors, and franchisees can use if they choose to. And that's Sam why I think we we started this the way we did, right? This book isn't about, hey, Drew and Sam need this book because they stand up in front of groups. And my one trainer who teaches orientation and two assistant manager classes needs this book. That's not what this is, right? This will help you a franchisee. You you want some quotes and some catchphrases for your organization to tie your people together? Buy the book. Hey, general manager, you want to know how to do a better crew meeting? Buy the book. I can't stress enough how when Sardik opened it and said, if you open your mouth, you're presenting is the exact way the book is written. And it's brilliant because it, as long as you can get it through your head that there's something in it for you, there is legitimately something in it for you. And that's, that's the only catch to this entire book is you, the listener deciding, yeah, I open my mouth and I speak. Therefore I should probably be a better presenter. I think the thing that's really important to reiterate, we said it during our our time with Sardik, was this book is put together in a way that anyone can absorb it and get something out of it. This is not a deep dive into you becoming, from you going from a good presenter to a great presenter. This is a nice foundational learning piece where you can learn how to transfer skills and knowledge from you to your team and be better at changing their behaviors so you start to get the execution level that matches your expectation level. And I'd be remiss if we didn't say expectations at least once in an episode. I think that's I think that's our thing, full-fledged expectations. Which by the way, I got a um I don't think I told you I got a text from our good friend Stephanie and she wanted to thank us for making drinking games just for her. So Stephanie, for no reason other than I know you want one, take a drink right now. Sam, since you mentioned Stephanie and we're at the end of the podcast, I'll just say it anyway. I actually sent her a text maybe a couple weeks ago now because I found a beer that is called Purple Monkey Dishwasher. What? Yes. Okay, now I am, I am a cornucopia <laughs> of emotions. I'm excited you found it. I'm pleased that somebody went there. I was flabbergasted. But I'm a little bit angry that you didn't get me one. Oh, I've got a couple. I got a couple. Uh, you won't like it. No, no, no. I don't want to drink it. I just want the can on my shelf. So if you want to, you could do the old beer can 
uh, collector's way and open it from the bottom so it still looks like it's open. You enjoy the beer. I just want the can. Okay, we can make that happen. Purple Monkey Dishwasher. Yep. Oh, it's amazing. Stephanie, we just love you. I hope you know that. All right, so Sam, where's this book going? Oh, without a doubt. You know, I, I told Sardik after we got off and we were talking that, you know, the moment that I finished the audio version, because I've just had so much windshield time lately, I got on Amazon and I bought four copies and three of our loyal listeners who may or may not know who they are, uh, the book's coming to you. But this book is going to be firmly on my desk in my backpack. It's got post-it notes all over the place. And like you may have heard during the interview, I, I told Sardik I was going to steal stuff and he said that was okay. So, I mean, I think that's going to hold up in a court of law against any copyright laws. I mean, potentially, but uh, as a trainer, I mean, generally speaking, we create very little and we steal a lot. So when you say create very little, do you mean we create nothing? That said, there's such good stuff in this book. And yeah, I'm in the same boat. There are so many little post-it tags. How long was the audiobook? I don't do the audiobook. So how long was the listen? I think it was four and a half. If I remember, and it took me, it probably took me three separate listens because I was zoning in and out occasionally because I was thinking about where I was heading and what I was going to do. But once I got in the right mind space, it was, it was so well put together and, and I couldn't wait to get my hands on the book because they referenced, this is what you're looking at in the book. And I'm like, uh, I'm not looking at the book. Uh, so once I got it and I started breezing through it and looking through it. I mean, so many good things in it. And then, you know, he talked about how McGraw-Hill wanted it put together. They did a really, really good job. It's like they're in the book business. You know, it's nice that people don't have to recreate the wheel. Sam, you and I had an episode where we talked about giving stuff away and we talked how you have your giveaway tables at your classes and I do not. And it's something that I'm going to start doing because yeah, you're right. It's just something now is missing. And this is one of those books that's just going to end up on the prize table. It has to be given away because the average listener and you know who you are, you're going to hear us do this book review and you're going to still say and still think it's not for me. And then you're going to attend one of our classes and you're going to be like, oh, there's that book again. Fine, whatever, I'll take it. And then you're going to be blown away by the fact that you will be able to use something out of this book the next day after you read it. And you don't have to read the entire book. That's the craziest part is, as Sardik said, it is so it is so broken down into small chunks for you. You can take any piece of this wherever you're at in your presentation journey. If you're a newbie, if you're an experienced vet, if you're Jeremy Hill, you can take any piece of this and and read a chapter or two and use it the next day. And that's the beauty of this book. So prize table for me, prize table and theft for you. I think that's a good book, Sam. Let's uh Let's land this boat. Let's absolutely land this plane. This plane we shall land. Nicely done. Why, thank you. This has been another fabulous episode of Drew and Sam Talk Training. In the event you still do not like us, follow us, subscribe. What are you waiting for? It's been 99 episodes and two years of this. Hit the button already on your favorite podcasting, whether Spotify, Apple, or Podbean, which, by the way, we're on their homepage in the month of July. So if you found us from Podbean, thanks so much for deciding to click and listen to what is most likely the best use of your time today. 
I am Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. I'm Sam with Bowser Consulting. As always, gang, go out, sell more pizza, and have more fun. Bye-bye. Woo, see ya.